Welcome to Productive Ministry. This is episode number 12, Community, with Casey Coates. Occasionally you start out with one topic in mind, and then it's like God takes over. And you end up discussing things that you never thought you would. That happens in today's episode. Today's episode was, we were going to be focusing just on community. But during the conversation, it ended up talking about friendship and accountability and the way that church confronts sin and discipline and all sorts of things that you might not expect. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, knowing that it's not at all what I had planned, but it ended up being really great. Welcome to Productive Ministry. This is Rocky Hernandez. I'm here today with Casey Coates, who is the teaching pastor at Sea Life. Hey there. How are y'all doing? Glad to be here today. Rocky, thanks for having me on today. Man, I'm so glad that you agreed to do it. I was at your church and I heard you speak on community because I guess you guys were doing a, a push towards getting people to join your community groups. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And so we're really big on community here at Sea Life in that that's our name, Community Life. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, it's a big, it's a part of our name. It's a big part of our identity and who we are as a church. And so that Sunday morning, we were uh, really preaching a message designed to try to get people to jump into our community groups that we offer for them. And so, yeah, that happened to be the Sunday that you were there, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, you just spoke with, with such passion and conviction. I thought I stopped to myself. I've got to get this man on the podcast talking about community because I think it's such an important topic, specifically with pastors. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think that really blew me away was that you are actively involved in a community group at your church. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I wasn't whenever I first started at my church. And so whenever I first came on staff at, at Sea Life, I was a youth pastor here. My wife and I, at that time we were engaged. And so she was my fiance and she was kind of long distance for a lot of that time. And then she came back and we got married. But so that first year that we were at Sea Life, we didn't jump into a community group for several reasons. Number one, because she was long distance some of the time. Secondly, though, our lives just felt crazy with uh, uh, just the requirements on your schedule that youth ministry is. Uh, There's just so much going on. We felt like we couldn't add another night of the week. I was in seminary as well. And so I just, we had all this stuff going on. Thirdly, I would say the other part of it is we just didn't feel that we overly needed it at that point. But at the end of that first year of marriage, really, um, Lauren and I sat down and were talking to each other and we just felt like we were going crazy, you know, like whenever you went like uh, in prison, whenever you are in solitary confinement, apparently that I've never been in solitary confinement in prison, but uh, I've heard (laughs) (laughs) that that's like, if you want to drive a prisoner crazy and really mess with their mind, uh, that that's the fastest way to do it more so than any other type of punishment. My wife would probably kill me if she knew I was comparing our marriage to solitary confinement in prison, (laughs) but that's what it felt like. You know, it felt like, while Yeah. yeah, we were in it together. It felt like we were so alone. It felt like we were on an island. And so we're like, honestly, we didn't want to give up a night out of the week. We didn't want to really make that type of commitment, but we knew that we are driving each other crazy. And we just knew we needed to be around other people and do life with other people, have relationships with adults. Um, And so at that point we jumped into a community group and it was like breathing again. It's like, we didn't even know we were suffocating, Uh, but when we got to the CG, it's like, we just uh, inhaled and exhaled and we're, and we're breathing again and yeah. being around those other couples is like, Oh yeah. Like other people have problems too. We're not overly crazy. And it just being around other people, like some, we, we rarely ever talked about marriage in our community group, but just being around other married couples, it's like it sanded down some of the rough edges in our marriage. We just naturally gave more grace to each other. We felt like we were bent on understanding each other more. It was just, it just brought so much life into our marriage and into our spiritual lives. It's good. So we did that for one year and then that community yeah. group split up for, for various reasons, people were moving off and doing other things. And so my wife and I, at that point began leading our community group. And what we did is we basically just went and 
found about four or five couples, uh, some of whom we were already friends with, others we, we knew uh, for a while but maybe weren't super close with, and we basically re- just recruited people that we felt like we would like to hang out with these people, we would like to do life with these people, and uh, invited them to join a community group with us. They start, we started meeting with them, and uh, the rest is history. We've been leading a community group, I guess, for, I don't know, going on seven years ish, something like that. Now we don't currently today, our group, uh, we don't have any of the original couples with our group. We've kind of gone, gone our own way. Some of them have left our church. Others are still in the church, but have kind of like they've stepped into leadership roles in other community groups or whatever the case is. But I would say all those people we still consider to be uh, friends, some of them great friends, close friends. It's just, I think community groups take on a life cycle, just like a lot of other things. And so relationships kind of come and go. There's some fluidity to it, but it has been one of the most steady and greatest blessings that God has given us in our life. No doubt. I love that you recognized right away. Fortunately, I mean, praise the Lord that, that you, you needed to be not isolated. And one of the things that in my experience, I've seen pastors over the years who do not have uh, a group of, of people, uh, to, to pour into them and to, to, to do life with them. And I find that a lot of times that actually pastors will work at a church, but they don't actually like go to the church. Do you know what I mean? They're not. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm curious for you of those pastors who just go to the church, they don't feel like they have community. Do you feel like that's by their choice or do you feel like, like they're, they're desiring it, but they just can't find it within their church? Well, I think, (laughs) I think there's a couple of reasons you're going to get me, you're going to get me going now, (laughs) but uh, I mean, I have lots to say about that, but you know, I think it's a couple of things. One, I think that in, in ministry, we've created this, this culture of complaint. And I've talked about this a couple of times on the show, just this idea that ministry is so hard and everything is so difficult. And mm-hmm. when I have, when I have free time, I just want to have my free time and I don't want to be around more church people. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of that is an unwillingness to be open and authentic with people. Um, we say people put you on a pedestal and there are some people who do put their pastors on a pedestal and would really struggle to know how human they are. But I think that we start in in ministry with that assumption that that people yeah. have us on this pedestal, and that if we're vulnerable, or if we're or we're honest, or if we're open, or if we're genuinely yeah. trying to pursue the Lord alongside of them, that uh, somehow there's something wrong with that. And yeah, so, no doubt. And so, yeah, I imagine we'll talk a lot about that throughout the podcast here. I want to go back to the first thing that you said about that they fit. Uh, that that culture of complaint and people feel like, man, I'm working so hard and the church asks so much of me that when, when I get downtime, I don't want to do what feels like ministry. And I'll just say to that, man, uh, that's a shame <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, now, now I'm so spoiled. I, my church is an incredible church and, and I know not every church is like my church, but I love my job and I love our staff. Like, um, so a while back, apparently a pastor of another church, he had a Sunday off and he came to our church and, and his church, apparently like their culture, they don't have as great of a, just a church culture. And apparently he does, he's kind of like struggling, feels like he's kind of at odds with his staff a little bit and everything. And so him and his wife came to our church on a Sunday and they left that Sunday and his wife said to him, you know, what's different about their church and our church. And so, and she says so she identified one thing and she said, what's different about them is that their staff loves each other, that their staff genuinely oh, yeah. loves each other. And, uh, you know, whenever I heard that, I was like, that is so interesting to me that that's the one thing she pinpointed as the biggest difference between our church and their church. Because honestly, our staff doesn't even interact with each other that much on a typical Sunday. We're so geared toward ministering to and serving our people. We're not even really interacting with each other. So part of me was like, well, how did she even perceive that? Because yeah. we didn't have much interaction. But my second thing was, but she is spot on. You know, <laughs> like we talk about it all the time at our church. And I talk about it with various other staff members like, we are great friends. We love coming to work. We love sitting down and having meals together. We, we love it. My wife all the time, she is so jealous because I love my job so much. I love the people <laughs> that I work with so much. And it's su- such a huge blessing. And honestly, like as we've hired more and more people and as I've kind of 
I guess I've gotten more influence within an organization just because I've been here um, for 10 years now. And so the, the leadership of the church, I get, I get to at least express my opinion some. And when we're talking about hiring people, a lot of times I'll inject my opinion and it's always, I'm, I'm prodding them, influencing them to hire my friends. <laughs> so right. At this point, at this point, I've had probably three or four different people that we've hired uh, that I consider before they came on staff, I already considered them to be some of my closest friends. And so, nice. man, I, and I know not everyone has that luxury, but I would just say that it's so important for people, no matter what you're doing, but especially in ministry, it's so important for you to love what you do. Cause if it does feel right. like work and ministry feels like work, then yeah, I understand starting a community group, uh, getting in, in plugged in, with people from your church and authentic community, that's going to feel like work. And it's not, it's never going to be successful as long as it feels right. like another thing on your plate. It's got to feel like a, a breath of fresh air. It's got to feel rejuvenating to your soul, to your life. It's got to be fun. You got to laugh. You got to enjoy it. And for me, that's what our community group is. Are there times where on a Sunday night, we're like, Oh man, we got CG. We're so tired to be nice. to Yeah, absolutely. There are some of those times, but every time we come away after community group, my wife and I are like, man, that was good. That was awesome. We needed that. Are there, are there things that your your leadership does to cultivate that sort of intimacy among the staff? I would say, yeah, there are things that we do to, to kind of really permeate that culture, but more so it's just our personality as individuals. Now, yeah. uh, so many of our staff have known each other for decades, you know, 10, 20, 30 mm -hmm. years. And so there's so much shared history. There's so much relationship that it's kind of just how we operate and run because we've known each other for so long. We love each other so much and that sort of thing. But so we, we, we have staff fun days every once in a while where like, mm -hmm. especially after a busy season, after Easter's over with, after uh, Christmas season's over with our, our pastors will kind of coordinate a day for us to go out and play whirly ball together. We'll go out to top golf. We'll go out to eat. We'll have a staff competition day where we're playing various games, competing against each other. Um, oh, they, great. Um, <laughs> I mean, one of the things I, I do a lot of times and I know other staff members do is, especially when we get a new staff member on staff, I try to take them out to lunch and just get to know them and hang out and do that periodically. Uh, we don't have offices here at our church. Uh, really for the most part, no one, no one has a designated office in our church. And so what that means is that everyone's working really in public open, open space. And so there's no such thing as just getting to work at eight 30 and you go straight to your office and you don't see anybody else the rest of the day. We're constantly around each other and talking. And, you know, so part of it is just logistics of it force us to kind of have more interaction with one another. Right. So that's really great. Yeah. And one of the other things that's a part of our hiring philosophy. Now we have made some mistakes in our hiring philosophy over the years and uh, we undervalued the element of, do we like this person? <laughs> and so oh, yeah. we heard another pastor kind of uh, talk about it this way, that really one of the most important parts of his hiring process is that he takes them out to lunch or, or, or he'll do the, like the Ranger games to Ranger game test of, would I want to go to a Ranger game with that person? Yeah. You know, and just sit and, talk, you know, because we all know baseball's boring. And so would I just want to sit and talk with that person through nine innings? And if the answer is no, that sounds like that would be torture. Then you probably shouldn't hire them because it's going to make doing ministry and all your interaction with them. It's going to feel like work. And so Absolutely. you got to start with how you hire. So. Man, that's really good stuff. Really good stuff. I hope you guys are taking notes. And for all you baseball fans, you want to email Casey, uh, I'll make sure to leave a link so you can email him. I did not say baseball was boring. That was boring. So. Are, are you a baseball fan, Rocky? Um, I'd rather not answer that question. Right <laughs> so go ahead. Good and try. Rocky good try. <laughs> I see what you tried to do there, brother. Oh, man. I had that feeling too when I when I kind of stepped into ministry of oh dang like I better get my life like on track I better I better get some things cleaned up like I've I've got some sin issues I got some problematic areas man it's time to get serious about pursuing God and uh I would say to that in ministry I do think there is that we as pastors we need to have some moral authority in order to be effective. 
And so right. you got to be smoking what you're selling. You know, you got to, yeah. you got to be pursuing God. You got to be putting into practice the things that you are communicating to your people that they need to be making a part of their lives. And so, yeah, we should be pursuing God. We should have a prayer life. We should have a, a devotion time to the Lord. We should have a, a commitment to personal holiness and righteousness. And so, yeah, all of that is true. I'm not discounting or disc- discrediting that. And I think there probably is a minimum bar of personal holiness and devotion to the Lord that if you don't got that, then you probably don't need to be leading and influencing others in on a broad scale in their relationship with God during this season. Not meaning you can never do it. Not meaning that God doesn't have things for you on a smaller scale in your personal relationships now, but taking on a position and a title kind of where you are leading people on a broader scale. I think there, there is something to be said for you probably should have a minimum level of personal devotion and uh, personal holiness un- unto the Lord. That being said, though, pastors are no different than other people. Pastors right. are normal people. So there are so many people in my church who are more mature believers than I am. There's so many more people in our church who know more about God's word than I do. There's so many people who are further down their journey with Christ than I am. The difference between me and them is God hasn't called them to pastor our, our body. And so they are more mature believers than me. Maybe they, they have kind of uh, beaten back their flesh more effectively than I have at this point in my life, but God hasn't called them to pastor this church. And so a prerequisite for our calling in ministry and our effectiveness in ministry is not our, our effectiveness in ministry and our calling in ministry is not directly proportional to our level of holiness and righteousness and obedience in our life, which obviously what the gospel tells us is that all of our holiness and righteousness really at the end of the day has nothing to do with us. And it is all Christ that he made Mm -hmm. him to be sin for us so that in him, we could become the righteousness of God. And so this idea that if I'm going to be effective in ministry, I have to uh, put off this air or this image of righteousness in order to truly be effective. Well, hey, buddy, like your righteousness isn't about you anyway. It's all about Christ. We got to get past that. We got to be rooted in the gospel and understand that idea that our righteousness is found. Pastors aren't different from anybody else. We're just people. We just happen to be people that God uh, has so desired for this season that we are to be leaders of the body. Absolutely. Well put. Well said. So you're part, you're part of a community group at your church. Uh, do you, is there a, a format that you guys like to follow? Are there positions within community groups that you, that are expected to have to help them run smoothly? Yeah, there are. You know what? I think the, let's, let's take a step back. Let's go back to what we were talking about. Is that okay? Okay. I have more to say on that. I, I don't know. So I think there's a couple reasons. I, I think it works on both ends for pastors who struggle to find community. I think, Part of the problem is that we don't feel like we can truly be ourselves with right. our with our church. And so that's something we put that on ourselves. It's not that the church puts that on us. We put that on ourselves. And it's because we're thinking about ministry wrongly. We're thinking about what spiritual leadership looks like wrongly. And we have to correct our view of what being a pastor and being a minister is like. And so that's why I talk about that idea of we're not different than anybody else. And so, you know, I had, I had that view when I first started out in ministry that, Oh man, I got to get serious about things. And uh, that was just when I was an associate youth pastor. And then I became the head youth pastor here at sea life. And once again, I had that feeling of, Oh man, I got kind of some of those areas under wraps when I was the associate, but now I'm the head youth pastor, man. Now I need to really get some of these oh, areas yeah. fixed in my life. And it was just putting the pressure uh, on myself uh, to, to find to, to finally ascend to these levels of righteousness corresponding with my position and it was so backwards that's just not how that's not how it works um, you should always be serious about pursuing the righteousness and holiness of God but if that pursuit is tied to your position that is recipe for burnout and moral failure Absolutely. like a big dog never what because you're pursuing it for the wrong reasons You know, you're pursuing it for the wrong reasons. And so eventually I just got free of that. Like God freed me up of that. I think a big part of that is the community group is that my community group. Like if I tried to 
act overly spiritual or too spiritual, or if I'm faking it at all, they will laugh at me and call me out on it because they know who I am. You know, they know that I make jokes. They know I'm stupid. They know I probably tread the line of inappropriateness uh, a lot, you know, and that sort of stuff. And so they, if I'm, if I'm flipping a switch and I'm acting, um, trying to be somebody, I'm not trying to project this image. Well, I get called out on it. So I'm so relaxed because my people I'm preaching to on Sundays, they're in my community group. You know, they, they know right. everything about me. And so it gives me the freedom to be me. I don't feel like I have to project this image of righteousness and all this. So that's part of it is that sometimes we as pastors, we put that on ourselves. Is that your experience too, Rocky? Oh, that definitely. you think pastors a lot of times do that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that nobody, you know, we, we say, we say, oh, well, you know, when you do ministry, you're, you're in the fishbowl and it's kind of like, you know, everybody's staring at you. But the problem, the problem with that sort of mindset going in is that, you know, being in the fishbowl means that you're separate from everybody else. And so if you're, if you're in the fishbowl, then you feel like there's something about who you are, your person, your relationship with God that has somehow separated you from everyone else who is pursuing a relationship with God. And and the result of that is intense loneliness, Mm. right? And, and when you try, you know, you try and, uh, you try and lead, how do you lead a community when you're not practicing community? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's impossible. You can't, you cannot talk about things you don't know about mm. with any sort of authority. Mm. Um, and so, but yeah, I think it's that perception of, of, of separate, but equal, but not really just separate, you know, in that fear of, of, uh, of rejection, I mean, and the reality is, the reality is, is that, uh, yeah, some people, some people have really high expectations of their pastors, mm-hmm. um, and and that's okay, and that's reality, but they're they're just they're just sinful too. They're just struggling too. As as a pastor, if I if I have that idea, if I have that mentality, uh, the result the result in my life is is spiritual stunting. When Christ died. You know, it, it wasn't just that I get to go to heaven and I have this salvation and this righteousness mm. imputed towards me. In doing so, Christ also creates the church, yes. right? Because he recognizes that that we are all created for community. Mm. God says it's not good for man to be alone, but but we can't. We're so fearful of rejection, right? That it's difficult for us to take the risk and be vulnerable. Man, I think that's so good what you're saying there. A couple things about that. Number one is, yeah, I love that point. I made this point in the sermon that you came to is that whenever you place your faith in Jesus, it's not just you and Jesus. And some people think that whenever you place your faith in Jesus, you become automatically a member of the body of Christ. You don't get a choice in that. You don't get to opt in for that. And even if you decide to not become a member of your local church, you are still a member of God's church, Jesus's church, the, the, the body of Christ. And so that's automatic because you need it. You're designed for it. Just like what you said. And the, you know, I think a lot of pastors view themselves kind of as this old Testament prophet. And in, and whenever we talk about old Testament prophets, now, I don't know if this is true of them or not, but when you read scripture, I can understand how you, you're, what you see from these Old Testament prophets is, okay, these people really are set apart. These people are men of God, and they go up on the mountain, and they speak with God because they kind of have this heightened sense, heightened level of obedience and, and righteousness before God. So they go up on the mountain. They receive the word. They come back down, and they communicate it to us. But they're not really like one of us because they're like they're the mountain goer, you know, and they, right. they come down, and they tell us God's word to us, but they don't. You know, it's not really, uh, they're not really on our level. And, and so I can understand how you kind of get that picture of an Old Testament prophet. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's how it was. I'm just saying I can understand how we get that view of it. And I think we as pastors a lot of times view ourselves in the New Testament. We are the New Testament prophets and we are like those Old Testament prophets. But that's just not true. <laughs> um, right. That's not how it works, especially in the New Testament. I mean, just look. I mean, Peter founder of the church, you know, Jesus founded the church, but he, you know, he used Peter, his confession of Christ. Peter denied Christ three times, you know, like how many pastors today have denied Christ three times in the middle of their ministry? You know, like Peter would not be allowed to be a pastor today. Uh, The apostle Paul, 
you know, right before he began his ministry, he was killing Christians. My guess is that most churches would say, yeah, Paul, like, we'd love to have you come to our church maybe, but... You know, we can't really have you leading us, man, because you're just mm-hmm. killing Christians a few years yeah, it back. Says, it says here on your resume that you were a member of the Taliban for 25 years. Is that... <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, like, so, and you go back to the Old Testament, too, with David. Obviously, he's the common example that, uh, you know, David was an adulterer and a murderer. And uh, yet he was Israel's greatest king and had the greatest heart for God of all their uh, leaders of all their kings. And, and so I think we get so caught up in this idea that what it means to be a pastor is to be Jesus to your congregation. Well, yeah, you're, you're, you're communicating the words of Jesus in the gospel, but you aren't Jesus. You're a flawed uh, communicator. You're a flaw, flawed vessel. Should you be striving after personal holiness and righteousness? Absolutely. And obedience to God? Yes, certainly. Um, but your usefulness and effectiveness in ministry and even your calling is not contingent upon your ability to maintain a level and standard of righteousness. So when you understand that, that should free you up then to be vulnerable, to, to have self-disclosure, to have exposure, not saying it has to happen to the fullest extent from the pulpit, but you have to have, you need to have people in your life. And I think people in your church, people that you are leading that see the spiritual warts and all and shame on you church, same shame on us church. If you Mm. do not let your pastor be a real person, if you do not let him have sin issues, some of them still unresolved in his life. Man, so uh, I have a buddy, a good buddy who is um, who is a minister. He was working out of the church, just a part of his leading, he was a youth pastor, just part of leading his youth group. He was honest about some of his past sin struggles and just to make it out, just throw it out there, pornography, you know, that he had some past issues with pornography. And he was talking about those in a discipleship group with his youth kids. They went home, they told their parents, their parents got all riled up that we have a youth pastor who, who used to look at porn. They started to raise all this stink and stuff. And uh, it came out that there were, that he was still struggling uh, uh, some in that sin area, but not like, not crazy. He's walking in victory. Every once in a while he, he would have issues and stuff. But the point is, is that the staff like when the truth came out, he was completely honest and open. Like he confessed it, <laughs> you know, like he yeah. came out, he confessed it. And his pastor at the time was like, Hey, thank you for sharing that, confessing that like we're a church of grace um, and everything. And, and we want to walk with you. They did not deem that his ongoing sins issues were grounds for dismiss for dismissal. They felt like um, he was doing all the things he needed to be doing and all that sort of stuff. So, um, they told him, here's how we're going to approach this. We, we will address it with the church, but we've got your back. You're doing the right things. You, you are qualified to be a pastor here. That was the angle they were going to take. But whenever they got up to the Sunday that they were going to address it, the, the couple families in the church were continuing to raise a stink about it. The pastor chickened out. He backed out and he said, we're going to go a different direction. Honestly, it would just be best if we just went in a different direction if you just kind of went peacefully, quietly into the night at that point. And I, wow. how are we as pastors, how are we supposed to be open with our sin struggles when we've all heard stories like that, right. you know, that we have seen the wake of destruction in our buddy's life. And so it's like, well, man, I would like to come out into the open with the sin issue. I would like to step into the light out of the darkness on the sin issue. But my buddy just got fired from his church for doing the same exact thing. And so I've got to keep it concealed, you know, man, yeah. that gets me riled up, you know. Yeah. And yeah, the and church, if you want, story, if you fire your pastor as soon as an area of their sin is exposed, if you fire your pastor as soon as they expose some of their sin to you, you're not going to have a better Christian leading your church. You're going to have a better actor. You're going to have a better yeah. concealer. You're going to have a better hider leading your church. That's all you are going. You know, you hear stories like that. And then the church has a reputation uh, in the world. Uh, they say, oh, well, you know, the church, they, they shoot their wounded. Mm. Um, and and that's, that's, that's a very dangerous thing. If you're going to be, if you're going to be an authentic Christian, 
right? Which I think that that our relationship with God has to be real, um, and it has to it has to exhibit all of those things. Um, one, I, I, I would just say. Get ready to open yourself up to criticism because yep. a lot of people, a lot of people can't handle it. Mm. Um, and, and it's not because they hate you. It's because surprise, surprise, the church is full of sinful people. Yep. Right. And that that's just that is the, you know, step number one, we're sinful. Step number two, we're so sinful that we need a savior. And then that's how we're part of a church. Mm. Right. I, I, I would just say to all our pastors out there, um, have courage be brave. We can we can put an end to this by being fearless and leaning into the Lord and, and trusting God. And and we can we can change the tide of that. We can we can disciple people and we can encourage people uh, and we can lead by example in that uh, by by choosing grace and compassion. And you know for the for the senior pastors out there who who have people on their staff who are who are going to be normal people with normal sin struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would just say, uh, to, to be courageous and, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a teaching moment. Um, you know, the Bible sets out for us how we're supposed to, to, to confront and deal with sin within a community. Um, yeah. Yeah. and, and, yeah. and, and that's our, our first call, you know, and we have to teach, we have to teach, we have to disciple, like that's the great commission, uh, to, 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 to disciple, going to all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to do everything that is right, uh, you know, and, and we, we have to, we have to take that mantle, um, even if it opens us up to criticism, yep. um, we have to remain faithful to the word of God. We have to remain faithful to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to remain faithful to the, and respect the work of the Holy spirit in people's lives, mm. you know? So, yeah, and so I feel like I should say a disclaimer here in that our, our, is it possible for a minister to be so far down sin's path and to have uh, be kind of so deep in it that at least, at least for a season, they need to be removed from their post of leadership because really like there's at such a deficit that they need to be poured into. They don't need to be worrying about pouring into other people. Yeah, absolutely. 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 And so I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you get to be involved in whatever sin you want to be involved in and you get to, retain your position and your influence and your leadership and your paycheck and all that. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that as ministers of the gospel of reconciliation and grace, Mm -hmm. when our pastors need grace and we don't give it to them and we make them feel shame, when we make them feel guilted, when we tell them they have to go away for the sake of our church, well, we have communicated the opposite of the gospel to our people. And it is harmful. Absolutely. It is harmful to pastors. It is har- You think you're making the best decision for your church? No, you have just discredited the, the gospel of grace to your people. You have given them a powerful illustration. And so what you said Absolutely. is 100% correct, man. Pastors, you've got to be courageous. you got to be courageous. And your people may be maybe uh, fighting you over. They may feel like you're being too soft on sin. You're being too kind. You're being too gracious. But here's the thing. If I was talking about this with one of our other pastors today, um, we, I'll give you another picture. Um, we, we know a guy who uh, used to work with us. He went on to, to work with another church and uh, he recently uh, resigned from that church basically because he was, some, he was cutting some corners uh, in his job. Self-admittedly, he knew that he was, he was not doing the right thing. He was cutting some corners, but he said that he wanted to expose his wrongdoing. He wanted to, to expose his sin to the team, to his staff. But he felt like he couldn't because they prided themselves in being so hard on sin that mm. he felt like if he had exposed his sin to him, that immediately it was going to be, well, take him straight to the guillotine and off with his right. head. And so as, because of that and because of self-preservation, he didn't, he didn't out himself. When he was finally outed, not by his own choice, but when he was finally outed, he, sel- he said he felt like it was such a relief Right. Well, why would that feel like such a relief? It cost him his job. Well, he wanted to expose 
his wrongdoing. He wanted to expose his sin, but his church wasn't a soft place to land. It wasn't right. a place where you can be dealing with sin. And so here's the deal. If we as pastors, when our staff or when our people come to us and they confess their sin, uh, how you respond is so pivotal. When someone outs their own sin, when someone confesses their own sin, you don't beat them up. Right. You don't hit them in the face because God doesn't. When you draw right. near to God, he draws near to you. Whenever you repent of your sin and you come to God, you know what he does? He's waiting on the hill, waiting for you to come home. And as soon as he sees you, he's running to the house to grab the robe and the ring and the staff and tell him the servants to prepare the fatted calf, get the party ready because we're celebrating. Yeah. He doesn't, when you come home, he doesn't slap you across the face and say, I knew you'd come back. What were mm-hmm. you doing? You moron. You know, and so um, when our people come to us and they expose their sin, that's when it's real. That's when you know if your life has been transformed by grace and if you're preaching an accurate grace. Because when people expose their own sin, they get grace. Now, discipline, there is a place for discipline. Where where do we discipline? Well, we discipline when people are still proceeding forth in unconfessed and unrepented sin. And when they're in that place, they get disciplined. And I would say, I would say that we have to, we have to start with correct intentions and a correct understanding, right? Because there are times where I think that we are more concerned about, uh, quote unquote, protecting the church Right. And so that becomes that that fear that somehow the church is going to fail because of individual sins becomes a motivating factor. But you you read scripture, brother, you read Matthew 18 and and all of those other things. And you recognize that the reason that there is a discipline process in the church is for the restoration of that individual brother or sister who is caught in sin to restore them. And so when we choose Like, stop being so hard on him, man. He repented. Now, like, easy and love him. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that I think that that's that's the fear, right? So you know, when we when we see that sin, it's like, oh, we have to we have to we have to protect the church. We have to protect the church. We have to protect the church. We don't want to get sued. We don't want to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, churches are so scared of everything. Everything all the time. So scared, as a matter of fact, that sometimes we don't do what God has called us to do because we're afraid of the consequences of that. And, and I, I, I just have to remind myself all the time, never tire of doing good, right? Mm-hmm. Always, always, always be willing to do what God has called you to do. Um, even if people don't understand it, even if people don't get it, even if there are going to be consequences for doing the right thing. Um, you submit your spirit to the Lord and you do that and you care for your brother or sister. Your motivation is to restore them, right? Mm. Christ will protect the church. Somehow the church has lasted two millennia. <laughs> you know, I have a feeling that it's going to, it's going to endure for eternity. I, I've read that somewhere. Yeah, I think so. I, I yeah. think I read that too. So, but, but yeah, we just get, we just get caught up in all of the, we just get caught up in all of the hoopla yeah. and then you, those, those, those scared voices become louder than, than the voices that are saying, yes, we need to remove this person from ministry. It's easy for a church to, to release somebody. But then I believe that, that church leaders and elders have a responsibility to make sure that that individual is getting the help that they need so that they Absolutely. can be restored. What you're saying is, uh, who do you fear? You fear God or you fear man as a pastor of a church? And I think we all have to, in every decision we make in ministry, uh, because I feel it too, man. I don't want to fail. I don't want to take people off. And so I'm tempted to make decisions to appease man. And I have to ask myself often, why am I making this decision right now? It feels like I'm making this decision because I'm afraid of these people rather than God. And I'm not going to do that. I've, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to do what is right in the eyes of God and be totally fine with the outplay of that. So, and I think an effective measurement or a a good measurement or indicator of if you as a church are practicing grace and discipline and removing people from ministry. Well, if if, if an effective measurement or, or a good measurement of that, if you're practicing that well is when you remove someone 
from leadership in your church? Do they continue to attend your church if they're going to church somewhere? You know, right. Sometimes you discipline someone. Sometimes you remove someone to leadership. They stop going to church altogether. Well, that's not so much of a representation on you and your church. But if they're still going to church somewhere, are they going to your church? And one of the things that I take so much pride in in our church, and this is not about me. I haven't. Because uh, I'm not at the, I'm not an executive pastor. I'm not, a, I'm not an elder. I'm not the, at the highest levels of leadership, and so I don't really do the discipline on on staff members and that sort of stuff. One of the things I'm so proud of us, and I think we do so well, is we have had to remove uh, a number of staff members over the years due to moral failure, and a good percentage of them, a good number of them are still members of our church. They're still coming every Sunday. Uh, they would say, man, they they did everything right in that. I put them in a tough position, and they did everything right. They showed me so much grace and mercy, and yeah, and I'm still going here. This is my church. I love them. I'm for them. You know, that's a great measurement. And I agree. All, that's amazing. Yeah, all, that's all the people that All the people that leave, all the people that you have to have stepped down. If every single one of them leaves your church, either you did something wrong or your body, you have this culture in your church that doesn't allow them to stay. And you got to check what's going on there because that's a bad sign. How do you feel about accountability? Here's my main thought on accountability. Accountability. I think a lot of times we talk a lot about getting an accountability partner. Man, I need. I have so many people asking me as a pastor. I have so many people asking me if I would hold them accountable. And I'm always like, yeah, yeah, we'd love to. And I feel like a lot of times I'm disappointing people because I'm not a good enough accountability partner. But right. I just, I just had this thought in this moment. For me, the way I handle accountability in my life is when I have something that I need to be held accountable on. I go and I confess and I tell, right. I don't, I don't wait for my account, quote unquote, account, accountability partner to come and ask me. Now I have a few people, a couple people in my life who I think they, they do ask me questions every once in a while, that sort of stuff. But for me, my accountability primarily operates through God convicts me and I hate the feeling of that I'm hiding something. I hate the feeling that I, I'm not being too completely honest and out in the open. I think that's part of just how I was raised as a kid. I was raised as a, in a very moral and spiritual family, but very moral. And uh, that having done something wrong eats away at me. And so right. I just, there's so much relief in me when I just get it out there and when I'm just honest and open about it. And so I, I hate accountability. I hate confession of sin. Like there's nothing I hate more than confessing my sin, but there's nothing I'm more relieved that I did than confessing my sin. You know, it's so right. ironic. Like before I do it, there's nothing in the world that I would like to do less than confessing my sin. But after I've done it, there's nothing in the world that I've done that I'm more thankful that I did, you know? And I just know that. I believe that. I understand that. I've done it enough times. I know how it works. And so whenever I'm agonizing over this thing in my life that I've done and I feel like, it's just eating away at me, I know I need to get it out there. And so like, for example, whenever I, whenever I was interviewing for my first ministry job, Right. Um, it was at my home church. And so it was my youth pastor. I grew up underneath. He knew me. I was a lock to get the job. So the interview was really a formality, but we had the interview. It went really well. Basically at the end of it, he's like, so when can you start? And I was like, okay, I can start, you know, at this date and stuff. And so I basically walked away with the job. Well, I went home and I was like, you know what? I've got this area of sin in my life right now that I just feel like if I had hired, if I was going to hire me for, this position of spiritual leadership, I would want to know that. And I want him to know that. And I don't ever want to like for that sin to get exposed to me to feel like I was, I didn't lay it all out there. And so I called him back up and I was like, Hey, are you still up at the church? He's like, uh, no, I went home or whatever. And I was like, well, could I meet you back up at the church? And he's like, yeah. And so he met me back up at the church. So I was like, Hey, I feel like I just need to tell you this and I don't know how this affects me getting the job or whatever. And if I, if you can't hire me, that's fine, but I just want to get it out there. And I did that. And he 
was so gracious and so understanding and was like, yeah, that, that's an issue. Like, I'll talk to you about that. We'll, we'll work on that. But no, that doesn't keep you from getting the job. And, and for me, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. I'm totally open and honest. I mean, I've preached this. I must have read I've, I've lost pornography, sexual purity, and relationships. Those were issues for me uh, in high school, moving through early college and stuff. And so that's what I needed to confess to him was some of that stuff. And um, for me, I just want to get out there. And so that relationship continues. So now he is one of our senior pastors here at Sea Life. He is, and I'm so close with him. He's one of my great friends, a mentor, a spiritual father in a lot of sense. And so just the other day, we were having our, like our monthly review, our monthly just check-in meeting. And at the end of the meeting, he's like, well, is there anything else? And I was like, yeah, I need to, I need to just make you aware of something, a, a sin issue, you know, that I, I, something that I did that, and I was like, and I've confessed this, but, and once again, it was a sexual-ish sin type sin mm-hmm. issue, you know, and so, and I'd confessed it to my wife, but I felt like I want the people who I'm doing ministry with, I want the people who I'm kind of under their spiritual authority, I want them to know about it, because it just frees me up. And that's the thing right. about confession. Confession doesn't, confession isn't a consequence that you have to face. Confession is a gateway to freedom. And Amen. the sooner you embrace that idea, and yeah, it's scary. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying it's fun to walk through the gateway. But what I am saying is it is a gateway to freedom. And the sooner that all of us as Christians, but especially us as pastors, can understand that confession is a gateway to freedom, the better we will be, the more freed up you will be, and all that sort of stuff. And so, uh, man, confession frees you up. Pursue it, do it, make it a habit. So as far as accountability is concerned, where this whole thing started is, yeah, if you want to ask people to hold you accountable, that's fine. But do not rely on them to do all the work and come into your life and say, hey, have you told me about this area one time? Have you been doing it? It's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility. And so you go and you confess. um, And in that, you will find the accountability and the freedom, I think, that you're looking for. Yeah, I think that a lot of times the way that we approach accountability in the church uh, doesn't work because it doesn't encourage uh, it doesn't encourage relationships. It doesn't encourage community. I think what's so great about you having this man in your life who, who you could be open to is one, you knew that he loved you. Right. He was somebody that you trusted. There was there was a relationship there. And I think that a lot of people cheat and they try and take a shortcut. Uh, And so what they want to do is they're like, oh, well, I'm going to ask my pastor to uh, to keep me accountable. And we're totally willing to do that as pastors, you know. (laughs) But but the reality is, is that that you're asking me to do that because I only see you on Sunday morning. Yeah. Right. We don't we don't have any real like. outside of church connection. Do you know what I mean? And so it's, it's easy. It's easy because then you feel like, oh, well, you know, he, he he's a pastor. He's going to, he's going to help me. Um, but there's no relationship. So I don't have to see him in my everyday life. So absolutely, the, the, the pressure is off there, but yeah. You know, so for me, I want to, I want to interject there, Rocky, because I think you bring up a great point is that, uh, and I had this written down just in my notes. So some things I wanted to say is that, you know, for me, what discipleship really looks like and and where discipleship is at its best is in friendships in Christian friendships. And so as we're talking about community, the topic for this podcast here, and as I talk about my community group and all that sort of stuff, really at the end of the day, what I'm talking about is just friendship with Christians. That's all it is. And the more, the deeper and better friends you are, with another believer, the better the discipleship process will be in that relationship. And right. so um, with my best friends, it's really easy for me to tell them when my wife and I are struggling in our marriage. Uh, we've got a buddy, one of, one of those couples that was an original member of our community group. We're still like best friends, go out on double dates with them all the time and that sort of stuff. Like there's been times where my wife and I have this big fight and uh, – I I like have to just go and take a breath and get some separation for a moment. And I'll call, I'll text and be like, you home? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm coming over and I'll come and I'll pick him up. We'll just drive around the car and we'll just talk and he'll 
speak truth into me, you know, and kind of motivate me to go back home and fight for my marriage. And not saying I'm like leaving my wife. I'm saying, you know, that I, I yeah. know that like I'm fired up and I just need a brother in Christ to speak some truth to me. And so I've done that on multiple occasions. Well, I wouldn't do that if that was just a guy I'm in Bible study with and I just see him once a week and we pray together and we study God's word together. No, he's one of my best friends. And so he disciples me. You know, he right. speaks truth into my life. He calls me out on my, on my stuff. And the reason why he feels comfortable doing that is because we are such good friends. We have such a free flowing relationship. And so like, how do you form a community group? How do you get this type of community group community in your life? Well, go about it like you would with friends and uh, right. you're not going to get there. Uh, day one, uh, day one, and day one probably doesn't look like in-depth Bible study and praying. I suppose it can. Day one should probably look like let's go, let's go out on a double date with our spouses. Um, yeah. Let's go play golf. Let's go grab lunch. Uh, let's go to the sporting event together. You know that it's shared experiences. It's building the relational foundation. It's building rapport with the person. It's having fun together. It's laughing together, so that when it comes time to tread into those uncomfortable waters. You feel like it's a safe place. They are for you. You can trust them because you have enough relational water under the bridge to know that you're standing on a secure foundation. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff that is not at all what I thought we were going to talk about, but still so really, really great stuff, Casey. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, I think that, there's so many wonderful points um, in the discussion that we've had today just about uh, authenticity and, and confrontation and a little bit about accountability and a little bit about community. Um, I'm so grateful that you spent the last hour talking to me. Man, well, I appreciate the opportunity to get to, to talk about it. Uh, I didn't think I would get maybe as passionate and riled up about it as I did here at certain times throughout the podcast. So I think it, it really is just a, Ah, man, it's uh, how your church does community is such a picture of what you really believe to be true about God and Jesus and the gospel. It's not an an, uh, ancillary area of your church. It's not on the periphery, man. It is the lifeblood of your church because it's the gospel on display. And so, yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for being on Productive Ministry today. We really appreciate it. Well, there you have it. I really enjoyed this episode. I felt challenged about my personal friendships and relationships. And I hope that you walk away knowing that if you don't have any close personal relationships, I, I would just hope that you would reach out, find some friends and build some community around you. It's so important uh, to not try and do ministry all on your own. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to continue this conversation, we would love to talk to you about it on Twitter at Prod Ministry, P-R-O-D Ministry. Um, we're on Facebook at Productive Ministry org as our Facebook page. Send this episode to your friends and have some conversations with your friends about it. We would really appreciate it. Productive Ministry is produced by Timothy Jenkins. We are a show brought to you by Rumble Media LLC. And as always, we hope you have a productive week. <laughs>